excited right now. We do something twice a year. I try to do it twice a year. Last year, we did not do it because of COVID. Um, and this year, I was just determined to get back on track. Uh, I believe as a church that we are called to raise up uh, young people that will not only lead in the future, but they will lead now. Um, and so I believe they have a strength and a passion and a faith that if we will empower them can help all of us go to where God's called us to be as believers. Uh, I look at 1 Timothy 4.12 where Paul is talking to Timothy and says, don't let them look down on you because you're young, but set an example. Think about it. Set an example for who? For the believers. So that means those young people were around believers. They, you know, so it's like, hey, get, keep them close. Come on, stay here. Don't, you don't have to go. That's why I love the young man rapping. You ain't got to go out there to rap. Rap here in the church. Glorify God with your gift. Why? Because it, it inspires us that if he can do it, I can do it. And so he talks about in speech and life and love and faith and impurity, they're to inspire us. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to grab your notebooks, grab your Bible, grab your iPhone, however it is that you take notes, uh, the message notes. And, and I just want to encourage you that God is going to speak something to you in a powerful way. And so if you're ready to receive and you open your heart, God will speak through these young people. Now, I have mentored every one of them, and I do a program once a year. Uh, when I launch the church, I take 12 months and I mentor 12 young adults. Uh, it's outside of my small group. I just, I think it's great to be on this stage and to pastor uh, every person that comes on a Sunday, but I just believe there's the power of discipling a small group. Uh, and, and I'm not talking about just being in a small group. Lots of small groups are peer relationships. This is a mentor-mentee. This is where I invest my life. And, and so uh, every one of them I've had the privilege of investing my life into. And I want to encourage you, if you're a young adult between the ages of 18 and 25 in August, if you'd like to uh, apply for the fellowship, we'll open up applications, and I'll start it back as now the restrictions have lifted. I'd love to get another class going, but uh, I'm thrilled. So when you see me up here, I'm going to be cheering them on because I, I know what it took. Like they've been working on this message for six weeks. They've been praying about this for a long time. We've been meeting about this, and so today I'm so thrilled to have them share the message. Why don't you guys go ahead and come on out? Would you guys give them... A round of applause. Now, I want to introduce each one of them to you. Uh, they would, uh, without a doubt, come up here and say how much they love me and how much they honor me and all that. We don't, we don't have to do all that. I told them, I said, just come out, fire off, and uh, let's dive right into the message. And so, but I wanted to introduce each of them to you. First, we have Paul Morales. Um, him and Alexis lead our student ministry. You have Ethan Brown. He, uh, is, he helps to lead our worship team, plays drums each and every week. Of course, we have Alexis Alamia. Then we have Jeremiah Garcia. You see him on the worship team as well. And then, of course, we have our very own Vanessa Hill. And so they're going to rapid fire. They, uh, they've got their message, so we're going to... Uh, I'm going to start it off with Paul. He'll come up. He'll share when he's done. He'll pass it off to Ethan, and it's just going to go as in one cohesive message. I do want to encourage you. Let's encourage them. Let's clap. Let's get fired up. Um, you know, I think it's, it, I always 
tell you, I preach better and shorter when you uh, respond. And uh, they're the same. Look, he's like, woo! Thanks, Maxwell. <laughs> no, just, they, uh, so it's going to be good. So just encourage them and then be ready to receive. Would you guys welcome to the stage, please, Paul Morales. Hey, good morning. Yes, my name is Paul. Today I'm going to be talking to you about leveraging your influence. So I'm going to dive right in and start in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 19. And it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in this scripture, it is saying for us to go and make followers of Jesus. As Christians, disciples, or followers of Jesus, we are supposed to go out and share the word of God every day. We are supposed to glorify his name in the good times and the bad times. And yes, I know it can be hard, but it's what we're called to do. Because ultimately, it is God's will that will be done. See, God puts us in these places or in these seasons we are in for a reason. God knows what he's doing. You can be in a place in life where you're suffering, you're struggling, it's hard, you hate where you're at. Or you can be on the flip side of that, you're thriving, you're excited, you love where you're at. But at the end of the day, God knows what he's doing. See, see, God is a mastermind behind it all. That job you're at, that school you're in, God has you there for a reason. God has you there to make a difference. I think back to when I was in high school. I didn't know it then, but God called me to be a leader. I had people that, that cared about me, that spoke it into my life, but I doubted it. I was a 15-year-old kid. I was like, nah, that's not me. I was shy. I was an introvert. I was laid back. I was a go-with-the-flow kind of guy. But God still called me to be a leader. See, I had the privilege of being the quarterback for the varsity football team. I was the captain. I, had, I was leading my team every day, whether I knew it or not. I had eyes on me in the hallways, in the stands. All eyes were on me. And though I didn't feel like a leader, I was still discipling them. I was doing that by I was celebrating their wins. I was encouraging them throughout their losses. I was building that relationship with them beyond just football. And little did I know that God was preparing me to lead in the near future. He was moving in my life even though I didn't see it, nor did I believe it. But because of that part of my life, because I got to experience that, I now get the privilege of, leading, of help leading the youth at a higher capacity. <laughs> I was discipling my teammates in high school, and in doing that, God was preparing me for what he has called me to do now. See, but what I didn't realize was I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to work for it because God had already put it in me to be a leader. God knew it before I knew it. I had influence. I was mentoring all the time. I was speaking life, while, all while ultimately leading them to Jesus. But what I realized was leadership was not about a title or position. Leadership is influence. So maybe you're here today and you feel unqualified. Maybe you feel you're not ready. I'm here to tell you, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have a, a certain title or a certain position. Sociologists tell us that even the most shyest introvert person can influence 10,000 people in a lifetime. Our lives shape the people around us in profound ways, whether we intend to or not. See, there's no denying influence. Every single one of you has influence. It's not what you say, but how you live your life, what matters. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. 
People judge by an outward appearance, but the Lord looks at your heart. God is calling God is calling every single one of you to be a leader. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe by spending that one-on-one time with your spouse or that one-on-one time with your kids. Maybe it's in school. Go in to talk to that one kid that eats lunch alone. Maybe it's at your job, that coworker that God put on your heart to go in and pray for. Maybe it's in your friend group, students, adults. Maybe it's your friends, inviting them just to church. To my students, 1 Timothy 4.12 says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. See, everyone has the opportunity to be the salt and light every day, no matter where you are at. Every single one of you. And what does that mean, to be the salt? Seeking to influence the people in your life with unconditional love of Christ and good deeds. To be the light, to be a witness to others, sharing the truth of God's word. See, I know changing the world can seem overwhelming at times. But what if I said, you can change the world of one person at a time. And all that takes is an invitation. See, there is power behind an invitation. According to statistics, 86% of people who attend church today is because a friend or a family member invited them. So let's do our part. Let's invite someone. Let's invite them to church on Sundays. Let's invite them to youth night every Wednesday. Let's invite them to Surge Summer Conference this summer. And better yet, let's invite them to join a small group. See, half the battle is just showing up and God will do the rest. So I want to challenge you all, will you make disciples, will you speak life into people, will you pray for them, will you celebrate their wins, encourage them throughout their losses, but ultimately will you help lead people to Jesus and allow them to feel that experience you felt when you gave your life to Jesus. Thank you. Good job, Bob. My name's Ethan, and today I'm going to be speaking about the power of love. The power of love is what's kept me planted in this church through some of the toughest moments in my life. I was able to keep going when all I could do on my own was just barely make it through going through the motions. Do any of you know what it feels like to just feel like you're going through the motions? Have you ever, or like Paul said, we are called to lead people to Jesus. But how do we do that if we're barely skimming by making it? on our own, going through the motions and the challenges of life. I recently started working at a company and we travel all over Houston. And I began to see people, so many people, kind of like what I'm looking at right now. And I just, I saw so many hurt people, so many broken people, people that are just really hungry for the love of God. I even saw a lifeless body on the side of the road on Highway 6. And the only... The only thing that I could think of was whether or not he knew Christ. Did anybody reach out to this man with the love of God? And I thought if there's this many people in Houston, how many more people are there in the world? I don't even think the number is fathomable, but I'm so small. Am I really making a difference in everything that I do in my life in this world? God, how can I reach more people? is what I asked him. What more can I do to reach more people that don't know you? And he began to speak to me. It's nothing that I expected, but he said, what could you, what more could you do? You're kind of already doing everything I've asked you to do in this season. You know, you're, you're already, so you're married to Brittany, you're helping her raise Allie. I don't know where she's at, she's in here somewhere. 
You're leading small groups at church. You're on the worship team. You're speaking at five-on-five messages. On Next Gen Sunday, if you do any more than you're doing now, you would have to take away time and effort from the things that I've called you to do. So what am I supposed to do with this urgency to reach people that don't know you? And then he asked, are you doing the most to reach the people in the places that I've already called you? (laughs) Uh, Okay. Turn to your neighbor and say, that man is doing the most. But I wasn't. I wasn't doing the most. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. See, what he began to tell me was that I can go deeper in the way that I love. I don't know I'd get this emotional. My wife, (laughs) my daughter, you know, I can be there present for them in their lives. (laughs) In their highs and their lows. I can go deeper in the way that I love the men in my small group. I can go deeper in the way that I love the men that I keep in touch with from high school that don't even know the love of God. I can text or call them the moment that God puts them on my heart. I can go deeper in the way that I love every customer I come in contact with at work, every stranger that I pass in everyday life. I can reach people with the love of God. I can reach people with the love of God, helping them become fully devoted followers of Christ in every area that he already has me planted. I can even go deeper in the way I love people in this church. The people on my team, the people that I lead, every person that I meet on Sunday. How can I worry about loving this world if I can't love the people in my own church? Even the Bible tells us that they would know we are Christ followers by the way that we love each other. 1 John 4, 16 tells us God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. God is love, mentions that twice. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. If God is love and I have his spirit living within me, then in a way, we all have the Holy Spirit of God living within us. We've become love. So what we don't realize is that when we love people, we're actually introducing them to God. (laughs) I'll never forget learning how to receive God's love through the people here at Anchor Bend. When I showed up, I was so, six years ago, so broken. I didn't even know how to receive love. I pushed it away. I didn't deserve it, but that didn't matter to them. And it doesn't matter to God. Because of the love that was shown to me back then, I've been able to learn how to receive love. And because I can receive it, I can give it to everyone that I'm connected to. What do you think we could accomplish if every Christian would unconditionally love every single person in their sphere of influence? We could change the world. Think about that. Love is contagious. The result would be nothing short of exponential. Miracles happen when unconditional love is put into action. Maybe today he's got you right where he wants you, and you're doing the things that he's called you to do, and I would encourage you to keep going. But I would ask you, can you go deeper in the way that you love? Can you go deeper in the way that you love your family? People at home? People at work, that coworker you can't stand, that child that just drives you crazy. Can you go deeper in the way that you love in every relationship that you have, 
every relationship that you might form. Maybe today you're not where you think God wants you, and that's okay because we're all on a journey. The beautiful thing about what we're talking about today is God can use you exactly where you're at through the power of love. This world needs love. This world needs God, and it starts with us. So receive his love, become love, and show the, the world around you the love of God that, that he has for them so much that they might have the same opportunity, and we can change this world one love at a time. Come on, that was awesome. Well, what's up? <laughs> my name is Alexis. Okay, my student section right there. My name is Alexis, and this morning I'm going to be talking about how to weather the storms of life. And it's out of the Gospels, a story about Peter and Jesus walking on the water. But I want to give you a little backstory, all right? So Jesus and the disciples have just had an exhausting day. They just did a miracle of feeding 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. Come on now. So they have been working. And so Jesus realized that he hadn't spent time with his father. So he told the disciples, hey, get in the boat, go across the lake. I'll meet up with you guys later. I'm going to go to the mountaintop to pray. And so the Bible says, as the disciples got into the boat, a strong wind was blowing and the water grew rough. All right, so they got into the boat. I'm talking about a storm is happening. Rain, lightning, thunder, waves are crashing, wind is blowing. All this is happening. And as time passes, Jesus comes very early in the morning, not on a boat, but this man is walking on water. Come on, like, is it, like, isn't that the most Jesus thing to do? He's walking on water. And so in verse 26, it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. You see, the disciples have been with Jesus for quite some time now, yet they still didn't recognize him in the middle of the storm. Doesn't that sound like us? Like we allowed the weight of our problems and our circumstances to distort the image of who God really is. And the first thing that Jesus said was, take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. You see, Jesus already knows how we feel before we can ever express it. And then my boy Peter, come on now. Now this response, I love it. This is what Peter says. He says, um, ah, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Like that's a response I think that would come out of my mouth. Like Peter is basically saying, prove it, Jesus, show me. And I feel like I do this very same thing in my life. Like I pray and I ask God, God, give me a sign, show me what I should do. God does it and then I'm like, give me more signs, show me what I should do. Like I know I'm not the only one that does that, come on. <laughs> but, so it says, the most important part to me is that Jesus gave Peter the permission to walk on the water. So in verse 29, God says, come. So something that stuck out to me was that the only words that Jesus said to Peter before he walked was, do not be afraid and come. You see, fear can be evident, but it's doing it afraid that's gonna get you on top of the water in the middle of the storm. So Peter, the Bible says, so Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. So the first step on how to weather the storms of life is you have to surrender your comfort. You see, Peter left, left behind the security and the comfort of the boat to experience a monumental moment with Jesus. I'm sure he wasn't comfortable getting out of the boat onto the raging seas, but he did it anyway because he surrendered his comfort. So the story goes on and says, when Peter saw the wind, now, I don't know about you, but your girl has never seen wind. But I have seen the effects of wind. 
You see, Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and, and started to focus on everything that was happening around him. And when causes damage. So I want to know this morning, what in your life is causing damage? Maybe it's social media. You're scrolling and you find yourself comparing yourself to this person and that person. And it causes discontentment in your heart. When also causes pressure. Now, I'm not saying that all pressure is bad, but the pressure that is leading you to the wrong thing. My students, peer pressure. Maybe you're hanging around with, with people you shouldn't be hanging around with. It causes pressure. And so the number one goal of the enemy is to cause you to lose focus. You see, sometimes Jesus calms the storm around us, and sometimes he calms the storm within us. You see, the Bible says, Peter was afraid, beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. So the second thing is you have to cry out to the one who can save you. The Bible says immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You see, God delights when we call on him because it shows him that we know we can't do it on our own. In Psalm 18, it says, he brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, the weight of our problems and our circumstances cause us to sink. But the moment that we call on Jesus' name, he promises to be there. You see, I was diagnosed with lupus in 2017. And that's a non-curable autoimmune disease. And I remember hearing the doctor saying that and fear and worry starts to grip my heart. And then I went on a fasting retreat with my school and I really felt like the Holy Spirit told me that I was trusting the medicine more than I was trusting him. And so after I sought wise counsel, I talked to my leaders. They're like, okay, your medicine will be in the office if you need it. And I was like, okay, but I'm gonna do this thing. I kept my eyes on Jesus. Now, I'm not saying if you're taking medicine, I'm not saying to stop taking medicine. I had a word from God, just like Peter had a word from God. And I'm standing here in 2021, not having a flare-up since I was first diagnosed in 2017. You see, yeah. See, Peter cried out to God. So what are you doing when things get hard? When you lose your job because of COVID or when you've been praying for your children, yet they're still going down the path that you swore they'd never go down. What are you doing? Just like Peter, I encourage you to cry out to God. You see, before Peter stepped out of the boat, the storm was around him. When he began to sink, the storm was within him. See, sometimes Jesus calms the storm around us, and sometimes he calms the storm within us. Thank you. Great, great message, Alexis. Hi, my name is Jeremiah Church. I have a question for you. <laughs> Church, I have a question. Have you ever been frustrated with God? Can I see a show of hands if anybody been frustrated with God? If you don't have your hand up, we'll talk later. Hey, well, I'm here to tell you, you're in the right place. I'm going to take you on a journey about someone in the Bible. It's a prophet. His name's Habakkuk. I'll set you up on a little story. It's a city in Israel, and Habakkuk's looking over that city. And these people are going crazy. They're going berserk. And Habakkuk's open, and he's just like, God... Where are you? Why are you not controlling this city like you say you are a God of order? Uh-oh, he's questioning God. Oh, have we ever questioned God before? Like, God, where are you in my situation? Where are you in my broken home? Where are you in my addiction, any of that? We find ourselves questioning God, and this is what Habakkuk said. He said, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. 
Therefore the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. I don't know about you, but Habakkuk just went off on God. Let me tell you, if I would have went off on my mom or dad like that, it's the backhand or fronthand. Hey, that's, hey. hey, but listen to what God said. He, said. he said, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am doing something in your days and you would not believe, even if I told you. Habakkuk, even if I told you that what I'm about to do in that city, what I'm about to do in those people, you wouldn't believe it. But it's not your job to believe because like the Bible says, our understanding is not like God's understanding. You know, we don't, we don't got to it. He got us. We got, we got to trust him. Church, say this with me. If it looks like a mess, God ain't done. One more time. If it looks like a mess, God ain't done. You know, um, my senior year in high school was pretty tough. I had a really tough senior year academically and athletically. Um, during that time, I actually found out that my grandma had got, in January of that year, my grandma actually got diagnosed with uh, stage four cancer. And I began to think, I was like, God, why? Why? Swiss? Because, like, God, someone that's so faithful to you, that woke up at 4.30 every morning, and she was the, you were the first person she talked to, and you're going to let her go through something like that? My heart began to turn hard. It's hard, and I was just frustrated and angry with God. Let me tell you how much faith this uh, woman of faith had. I, I went to Mexico a lot as a little kid, and uh, we walked to the supermarket one time. It's a little supermarket in Mexico at Soriana, and... Uh, we're walking to the supermarket, and on our way back, uh, at the end of the sidewalk, there's two giant Rottweilers. These things are vicious. I was scared. I was stuck. My grandma walked towards those Rottweilers. I had to catch up to her because I stayed behind. I was like, lady, you're crazy if you think I'm going to go walk towards. So I caught up to her, and I began to hear her talk. And I was like, what is she talking And I, she's praying. I'm like, and she's going closer to these dogs, and you start to see the dogs actually begin to calm down. These dogs are loose. They're not on a chain or anything like that. You know, you've been to Mexico, everything's everywhere. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so she's walking, and so we're able to get past those dogs. And because of my grandma, because I was scared, I wasn't going to go anyway. And so for some reason, they moved to the side and calmly we walk past them but what gets me going is my grandma never ever walked away from anything in front of her nothing fast forward to it's january 9th when she got diagnosed fast forward to uh, february 9th i had a soccer game i really exhausted came home friday night um went home uh took shower um got in the bed about 10 30 and um I get a knock on my door, my mom opens my door, and I see my mom's face. It's a face I haven't seen in a very, very long time. And I knew something was wrong immediately. And you know, she told me the words that I never thought I'd hear in a million years because I thought my grandma was gonna live forever. And she says, Grandma's no longer with us anymore. You know, she says that I was stuck again. You know, just like when she was diagnosed, I was stuck. You can just imagine how what I was feeling during that time because from her diagnosis, I was frustrated. I was angry. So we get in the car. We go to the hospital. And I, the way her room was set up, it's a, 
hallway, and she was the last room at the end. You can just imagine that was probably the longest walk that I ever took. Just to know that my best friend, you know, my grandma, you know, honestly, if it wasn't for her, my life probably would be on the stage right now talking to you. That's how impactful she was. I mean, 6.30 in the morning on Saturday to the donut shop to take me to church every Sunday, you know. And um, needless to say, I look back on the situation and God began to speak to me. And I realized why I was so frustrated and so angry at God is because he said, you were praying for your will over your grandma's life, not my will. I began to grow frustrated with God because, like, God, bring me my grandma back because that's my grandma. I was, my grandma was suffering. Now, all I wanted was my grandma back, but I was like, I should have prayed. This is why I should have prayed. I should have said, God, change my heart. Change my heart so I can get through the situation because ultimately I needed God in this situation to give me the peace that he has to bring for me to get through my grandma passing away. And church, I'll leave, leave you with this today. Are we praying to God to change our circumstance or situation so we can just run away from it? Or are we praying to God to change our hearts to get through the situation? Thank you, church. Ah, my name is Vanessa and church today, I want to talk to you about... <laughs> I want to talk to you about why we respond to Jesus. Now, I can't speak for everyone in this room, but I want to share my why through a story in the Bible that I really see myself in. And my prayer today is that maybe you see yourself in, in that story as well and find your own why. It's a story about two people having the same moment with Jesus, but experiencing him in two completely different ways. One person is Simon, and he is what the Bible calls a Pharisee. And one person doesn't even get a name, but she's labeled by her mistakes. Now, the Bible calls her the town harlot. And if you don't know what a harlot is, let's just say nicely, she's a, um, a lady of the night and or day, streetwalker, you know, something like that, right? So if you're not familiar with what a Pharisee is, these are the Jewish re uh, religious leaders in that day that taught God's law. But the problem is most of them weren't living it, and they were actually using it to oppress God's people. So this is where our story begins. Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to dinner. Now the Bible doesn't say why, but it's safe to assume that he had heard about what Jesus was doing in that town. Maybe he actually sat in in one of his teachings, maybe he heard about the miracles or saw a miracle, but either way, he wanted to find out more about Jesus for himself, so he invites him to dinner. Now the nameless woman hears that Jesus is going to be at Simon the Pharisee's house, so she goes there to see him. I imagine that she heard the same things that Simon heard, and so she also wanted to find out more about Jesus for herself. Once she arrives, the Bible says that she begins expressing her love to Jesus in a very radical and extravagant way. Now, Simon is watching this uninvited house guest make a fool of herself over Jesus. He's like, yo, I didn't even invite you here. How did you get in here? And now you're fawning over this man. This is my house. Like, what? I feel disrespected. Um, so he's shocked. He's appalled, right? And so in Luke 7:39, it actually says that Simon said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is touching him, that she is a notorious sinner, an outcast devoted to sin. Now, when I hear that the Pharisee says to himself, if this man were a prophet, this lets me know that he had no idea who Jesus was, even though he invited him into his house. I wonder if that's not a picture of some of us in here today. We can articulate the name of Jesus. We hear about him from other people. We can actually identify some of the things that he's done, but we don't 
know Jesus. Meanwhile, this nameless woman who also didn't really know Jesus had the faith to believe that Jesus had something that she needed. Neither of them had a relationship with Jesus, but one of them had faith. Now, I imagine that this woman, the woman who's called a notorious sinner, a streetwalker, <laughs> she's so exhausted from prostitution and the toll that it was taking on her mind, but she didn't know that there was another way that she could live. And maybe you're here and you can relate to that. You may not have such an obvious lifestyle like she did, but you have your own struggles that are draining away at your life. You're even sitting in here right now just, just pressing mentally to pay attention to what's going on because of the things that are weighing you down. And listen, I understand, I get it. I have been exhausted from my mistakes a lot of times in my life. I'm talking about a lot of times I have been exhausted from my mistakes, specifically like this woman when it comes to relationships. Now, if you don't know, apparently I'm the resident single of this church because Pastor Jim always says that I'm single from the stage. And I, I don't know how I feel about that, but you know, I just let him make it. But <laughs> I love Pastor Jim. Um, but Pastor Jim and Pastor Phyllis personally have walked me through Pastor Jim and Pastor Phyllis have walked me through some very hard times concerning choices that I've made relationally. Even just two weeks ago, I heard God tell me to unfollow three people on Instagram because I was leaving room for the door of my past to be opened in the future. So trust me when I tell you that I understand the struggles. Now, thankfully, I'm not widely known for my past mistakes like our nameless woman was, but in principle, I see myself in her story. I understand her desperation. So in Luke 7, Jesus says to Simon, because remember, he's shocked and appalled and disrespected. <laughs> he says, do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you failed to extend me the usual courtesies shown to a guest. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, demonstrating her love. You gave me no welcoming kiss, but from the moment I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not even anoint my head with ordinary oil, but she has anointed my feet with costly and rare perfume. Therefore, therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. So we see here that the Pharisee invited Jesus over but didn't even do the cultural bare minimum to acknowledge him. Meanwhile, the nameless woman not only brought her most valued possession to Jesus, but she used it to worship him. Now, at first, I thought this was why I was drawn to the story. I said, yes, that's my why, here it goes, right? Because you see me up here every week using what I believe to be my most valued gift to worship God, to express my love to him, right? But I feel like the Holy Spirit highlighted something to me that I had never seen before and I wanna share it with you, check this out. The woman sought out Jesus and worshiped him before he forgave her sins. She went to him not knowing if he would accept her or even allow her to be in his presence because she knew what kind of woman she was. She wasn't disillusioned like the Pharisee who thought because he could articulate God's law that he was holy. She knew that she wasn't worthy of Jesus, right? She knew that she wasn't worthy of the love that he could possibly give her. And the power of the story to me, the principle of why I respond to Jesus the way I do is because he knew exactly who she was and did not turn her away. 
in fact, in fact, he accepted her and he loved her. And he says this, your sins are forgiven. Listen, church, I only have one point, And it's that nothing can keep us from the love of God. I respond to Jesus the way I do because of the depth of his love. The fact that he knows the ugliest parts of us and he can love the ugliest parts of us and he chose to when he died on the cross for the possibility that we would choose him. And when I think about the brokenness that I've experienced in my life and how I literally should not be physically standing in front of anyone, let alone leading them in worship every week, let alone preaching God's word, I know that that is proof that God exists. The different times Jesus showed himself to me and changed my life, it makes me lift my hands in public. When I think about how he saved me from cycles that were literally destroying my life, I can't help but say thank you, Jesus, in public. Why? Because he died for me in public. But the good news is, not only did he die, he resurrected. He came back to life. And you know why that's so significant? Because that represents our hope. That means when you're going through things and you don't know how you're gonna make it, Jesus is our hope. And if we can just put our faith in him like the woman did, I'm not saying that it's gonna make your life easier, but what I am saying is a life lived with Jesus is way better than a life lived without him. I'm sorry, I know I'm over time. I know I'm over time. The danger of religion is that we can do things to check off boxes to appear one way on the outside, but what Jesus wants is your heart. Because he knows if he has your heart, then everything else will follow. And so maybe you've heard all of our messages and you're just like, man, like, that's cool, that's great, but I, don't, I haven't responded that way yet. And so my challenge is, well, maybe you haven't responded radically because you haven't actually experienced Jesus before. Thank you.